Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. I'm Nora Fuziati. And I'm Stephen Ruiz. And Stephen, we finally have a competitive football game to talk about. Uh, we waited, you know, really just 24 long hours, but we finally got one tonight. The Lions beat the Rams for Detroit's first playoff win since 1991. A lot of tears, a lot of hugs going on in Detroit, a packed stadium, and a really, really interesting game. Um, and finally a close game. So let's start there. Where do you want to start with this one? What's your major takeaway? I mean, we had to start with Jared Goff. They were chanting the man's name before the, the game. <laughs> it, it was definitely already I, making I, ring puns with. We went to Jared on the broadcast at the end. It, it really, uh, it, it's a sight to see. It, it really was, but this was like the ideal game for not only the lions offense, like how they're constructed, but also Jared Goff. Like he didn't face a lot of pressure when he did face pressure. He didn't, he didn't play particularly well, but he didn't face a lot. And when he wasn't pressured, he diced the Rams up. Like he had plenty of time. He had plenty of options in terms of downfield receivers being wide open. Uh, and then when it, it looked late, like maybe we would see the return of bad Jared Goff. He made the throws he had to make to seal the game, the throw to St. Brown at the end, which effectively clinched the win. Yeah. That was an impressive throw. And that was like a trademark throw for Goff throughout the last two years. So not only did they win, they kind of won on their terms, and it was a really impressive performance, not only for golf, but the whole program. Yeah, I mean, defensively, it seems like the Rams, I, I'm sure the number one regret from this game is the performance in the red zone. The number two is probably just the inability, especially in the first half, to get any pressure on, on golf. It seemed like they had a lot of, they had all those five-man fronts, especially early. It seemed like they were mm -hmm. selling out maybe to defend the run, maybe to to try to get some more pressure on him and and to free up Aaron Donald a little bit, and it just didn't work. Was that the, the Lions offensive line winning, or do you think it was something the Rams did schematically that led to, I mean, they sacked him three times. I think there were nine pressures, but all in all, a pretty comfortable game for Jared. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to fault the game plan when the offensive line is that dominant. I, I really think it came down to the offensive line, and that's how Detroit has won this entire season. And the Rams have been an offensive team. Obviously, the defense has outperformed expectations. But if there was a mismatch in this game coming into it, we would have thought it would have been in the trenches on that side of the ball. And that's how it played out. The Rams tried to blitz at times. It didn't work. It was like Jerichoff, no matter like what coverage they played, no matter how many rushers they sent after him, his stats like across the board, it's almost eerie. They're like basically all the same. It's like he averaged 10 yards per attempt against every coverage and against blitz or no blitz. And that just suggests that Raheem Morris didn't have any answers. The DC for the Rams, like anything they tried didn't really work. I think this was a personnel game. For the Lions, they leaned on this this team that they built. They built the roster to win games like this. And I think this was like the perfect defense to go up against for this game plan. I think they're going to get another perfect defense to go up against this if the Eagles win on Monday night. We'll get to that later in the week. But this sets up for a nice little run for Detroit through the playoffs, especially with uh, Dallas losing. And now they have a home game next week because that home field advantage, that was real tonight. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy in there. I mean, and even like I thought the Eminem intro on the broadcast was really cool. I was shocked to see Taylor Lautner in the crowd, but I I get why you would want to go to the game. I mean, it really seemed like it made me appreciate a nice game in a dome with a crowd that's just absolutely so hungry for it. It was really fun. I mean, it was a fun, like interesting storyline. I do think the Rams deserve some credit. I mean, they they held the Lions to three points in the second half. Yeah. Right. So it's not as though there weren't any defensive adjustments or anything that they were able to to find that worked. But I do think overall the Lions were really able to play this game on their terms where Goff wasn't seeing a ton of pressure. They could lean on that offensive line and just kind of play the way that they're designed to play. And it felt as the the fourth quarter was going on that the drive before the Rams last drive where they went three and out that felt for a moment like, Oh, they might've just lost the game here. And, and then, you know, it wasn't super pretty, but LA comes back out. They're not able to do anything. We can talk about some of the Sean McVay decisions and whether he should have gone for it on that fourth down. And then the, you know, the Lions get the ball back and they were able to do enough. Right. And it wasn't like this spectacular, oh my gosh, contract earning march down the field, 80 yards, 12 plays, explosive, blah, 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 blah. But it, like it, it was enough. And, you know, Goff didn't didn't commit a turnover like that. It was this was a really clean sheet. And I I think that speaks mostly to how they've built this team and just the overall infrastructure. But they've got to be really, really happy with this result. I think at a certain point we should talk about how replicable it is. But as you as you pointed out, they may end up in a similar situation no matter who they end up facing um next Sunday. So it might be a little bit of a while until we really find out what happened. Let's talk about the Rams. 
0 for 3 in the red zone, which really, I mean, they outgained the Lions in a lot of ways. They outplayed them on the offensive side of the ball, but they settled for field goals where Detroit scored touchdowns. Uh, They were pretty pass heavy in the red zone. Was there anything that you noticed about why that that wasn't working for them? I I think... One thing is that Cooper Cup isn't the player that he once was, and that's sure. probably an injury thing. I, I don't want to like put say he's washed or anything. I think it would, like a full off season of rehab is going to serve him really well, and I think we'll see the old Cooper Cup next year. But the current form of him, I don't think is a. I don't want to like overstate how much he's regressed, but I, I just don't think he's the factor that the game plan suggests that he was in the red zone. And I also thought like the Lions pass defense approached this game as if it was going to be called like a playoff game, whereas the Rams defense didn't like they took advantage Mm of the fact that refs kind of swallowed their whistle, especially on defensive pass interference or defensive holding calls in the playoffs, especially compared to the regular season. And And they were physical when you're in like the loudest craziest environment that you're going to be in with this crowd. That's just like absolutely gunning for it. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that there's any conscious choices to swallow a whistle or anything, but like we know that that affects people. Right. So I I think that's a, that's a really good point and an interesting point in terms of like how coaches prepare their teams. I do think that that's, that's, that's a tough choice, right. To not be ready for that because that was sort of predictable that this wasn't going to be a game that was officiated really tightly. And I mean, look, there were a bunch of situations where particularly the Rams players, but, but you know, both sides guys were getting crunched in this game and it was hard to watch it at times. And obviously um, there was the the injury with Higby. And then there was the moment when Stafford and Puka Nakua were both going into the, the tent at the same time. But I just think it's an interesting thing to consider whether or not that was a factor that the Rams underestimated, because I I don't, you know, it's no huge indictment. He's done an incredible coaching job this season. I don't think this was a super great showing for McVay. No, it could have been better. And just to drive home that point, like about the red zone, I just looked up the numbers for next gen stats. They when Detroit played man coverage in the red zone, which is where you would see like the tight, sticky coverage, Stafford went mm-hmm. 0 for 5. Right. I think that had a lot to do with it is that they were able to stay tight to routes. And in the red zone, like windows are smaller anyway, and you have to react faster. And like overall on the game, Stafford didn't play well against man coverage. He averaged seven yards per attempt compared to almost 12 yards per attempt against zone coverage. And he held the ball. seconds compared to 2.7 seconds. So he had to hold the ball a little bit longer when they did play man coverage. And in the red zone, you hold the ball a little bit longer. That's a death sentence for that play. So I think it was the style of defense kind of lent itself to the Rams moving the ball in between the 20s. And then when they got to the red zone, things were going to become harder. I don't know if that was by design. I don't know if Eric Led was like, yeah, just march up and down the field on us. Hey, Puka Nakua almost set. I don't (laughs) know. Did he almost set a record? I don't know if he did set a record. But don't break defense. Yeah. Yeah, go for 180, go for almost 200 passing yards. Uh, but I do think there was some of that to the plan, and it did work out in that way. That makes sense. That makes sense. My issues with the way that McVay coached, coached this game were not, like, not in the extreme. It was just, you know, the the decisions to take the timeouts early. Obviously, when it's coming down to the final minutes and it's close, you wish you could have those back. And then... 
look, hindsight is is what it is. And going for it on a fourth and 14 is going to be a low percentage play. But the decision to punt there, I would quibble with as well. So, it, you know, we know that he can be conservative in these ways. We know that he loves to use a timeout early. So it's nothing that we haven't seen before. And and if that's the bad that comes with the good, take it any time. But it is a little bit, you know, it stands out in particular going up against this this Lions team that's so aggressive uh, and it just leaves you with some what ifs, particularly in the end of game situation there with the decision on that fourth down. Um, but that's, you know, the the Lions went out and won this game. Um, yeah. But I do wonder if there's a little bit of regret there. Yeah, I think so. And that's always a thing with McVeigh, like you said. And but at the same time, I feel like they're playing with house money at this point. Like no one expected him them to be at this point. And even Stafford, like I know we don't usually celebrate quarterbacks when they lose, but that performance was so impressive. And it wasn't oh just like the numbers and like the fact that he was getting hurt and like more and more hurt as the game went on. Like he was just picking up injuries by the quarter, the, the arm angles and how he was able to like mitigate Detroit's pressure whenever they got pressure. This, this very much felt like, and this is not to take away from like Sean McVay being a, he's a great play caller and that offense is good. And, and Nakua is a great talent. But it almost felt like it was like a system versus like a one man show on the other yeah. side of the ball with Stafford. And he kind of had to create things that golf didn't really have to deal with. When golf was under pressure, he went one for six and averaged one point or, or one yard per attempt. Like golf didn't have to do anything. And well, that's, that's OK. It didn't have to do anything under pressure, obviously, because he didn't do anything under pressure and the, the game still worked out for Detroit. Stafford had a higher degree of difficulty, and I thought he played. He was the better quarterback. I just didn't want to lose sight of the fact that Stafford gave us like one of the most impressive. Oh my gosh! Performances a couple of, of the, the 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 sidearm throw which you wrote about, and you wrote about some of the sort of crazy arm angles and the fadeaways that have taken over the league. And I was thinking about that. And actually, both of the games today, there are some good examples. But Stafford is just amazing because he does the old man version of it. Where, like, first of all, his hand is, like, falling off. He's bleeding out of, like, 19 places. He's takes a really, really scary hit. And, you know, I'm not going to speculate about it, but there's screenshots of his eyes rolling into the back of his head. And and he's, like, picking himself up and, and limping off. Like, there's barely anything left in the tank. And then all of a sudden, he's just, like, throwing these passes that you see, you know... 10 times in an NFL season, it feels like, but it also simultaneously feels like he manages to have a couple of those every week. So he's, he's, I wonder how much he still has, has left in him just because physically it seems like he takes such a beating out there, but he is really amazing. And you're right to point that out. Um, this is a fun game. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. it. It was just like, it was an interesting sort of tale of two halves thing. It was an interesting result to see the lions hang on i mean do you think the better team won this game yeah yeah i think so i think i do too i think it d doesn't look like it maybe if you like just take a shallow look at the box score because of what i just said about stafford and the quarterback performance we got from him and like the performance from nakua obviously but like in terms of like total team performance i thought this game like just proved how much better of a team they were than la which i don't think was like that apparent coming into the game did you like the Eminem intro? It was good. That was funny. It was it it, it it was a nice little palate cleanser coming off of the the Cowboys game. 
I liked. And then you get one shot and we know what happens after one shot. Like, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Martha. All right. Shall we move on? Let's do it. All right. Let's take a quick break. We will come back and we will talk about Packers Cowboys. After an incredible NFL super wildcard weekend, we're on to the divisional round for these teams. It's win or go home, but you'll always have a spot in the playoffs with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W this weekend. Looking ahead early to next round, I really like the 49ers line over the Packers. I think they're going to win that game at home. So if you want to follow my picks, you can go to FanDuel right now. New customers get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer NFL to join today. That's FanDuel.com slash Ringer NFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. All right, welcome back to Dual Threat. It's time to talk about Packers Cowboys, the early game, and probably the most surprising result of uh, this first two days of Wild Card Weekend. And that is the Packers defeating the Dallas Cowboys 48 to 32. Not anywhere near as close as, as that result suggests. Uh, this was an absolute beatdown by the youngest team in the NFL against the Dallas Cowboys and there's going to be some ramifications for that in a lot of different ways, but let's give green Bay there too. Uh, Jordan love. You wrote about him this week, Steven, you've been on this train for a long time and he was absolutely dealing out there. Talk to me about what you, you saw from him. Yeah. Like you would think I peered into the future and, and picked the perfect time to write about his back foot throws. Cause it seemed like every throw he made downfield was off of his back foot and it really did not affect the quality of the throw at all. That's what was so stunning is that like, I think love was the clear star, but I think the Packers game plan and their play calling from LaFleur was like perfect but anytime like the play call didn't work out and end up with a Packers receiver just wide open downfield, like Love had some pressure in his face and it didn't matter. Like you got the same results. He was still pushing the ball downfield. And the reason he's able to do that is because of this arm that he has and this 
fluid throwing style that just looks so similar to Aaron Rodgers. And then before Aaron Rodgers, go, Brett Favre, like all right. of these Packers quarterbacks, it's not just that they've had these three star quarterbacks, assuming Jordan Love continues this in a row. It's like these guys play the, the position the same. Right. And it's so unique. And we've only really seen it from those three guys. Uh, it's a joy to that watch. The sound you it. heard is every Bears fan who listens to this podcast turning it off, by the way. Yeah, every Bears and Vikings fan. I'm so sorry, guys. You guys do not deserve this. Like, Vikings fans just came out of the Kirk Cousins. I, they're not out of it yet, but, like, they're maybe near the end of the Kirk Cousins experience. And, like, it's it, it was kind of successful. Like, Kirk has had some good years. They've gone to the playoffs. And then the Packers just fall into this guy, and then they're reminded, like, actually, that Kirk Cousins experience was probably bad. We, we probably should have went somewhere else with it. Uh, it's rough. It's rough going for them. But it's not I, as bad as being a Cowboys fan today. Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, all right. Uh, let's talk about it. Do you think Mike McCarthy survives this? I don't know how he does. Like, this is no, the worst it no possibly way. could have looked. He had one job avoid embarrassment and he it was 27 to 0 by the midway through the second quarter he did not they're, they're showing jerry in the box how many times did they show jerry they showed jerry like 15 times and he was jerry versus like, taylor that's the real wild card weekend competition and i think jerry ins- won he did win it was a landslide it was 27 to nothing basically it was like the same as what the packers did to his team uh I was expecting to see Bill Belichick in the in the owner's box by the fourth quarter. Like I did do some mental math at one point pretty early in the game about like, can you fly if you fly from Nantucket directly? No, you can't get there in time. Somebody check where are the college football sicko fans who like track the planes track during the, planes. the coaching cycle. Let someone get on on that because there might be a plane coming from Nantucket to Dallas very soon. I have no idea if Bill's on Nantucket, but that just seemed like the right guess. I mean, yeah. So Jerry, after the game, said this is beyond my comprehension. Uh, He said he hadn't given any thought to Mike McCarthy's job security, which would make him about the only person on the planet. Uh, But liar his word for that. (laughs) He's lying. (laughs) I don't even know if like if you're Mike McCarthy, do you want to stay? I mean, probably you get paid a lot of money. Yes. But yes. Yeah, you stay. He grifted his I'm way into this job. You, like, you I'm gotta not see saying the grift you, out. Like, commit, you know, ritual seppuku as Cowboys <laughs> head coach. I'm just saying, like, if you, if you, isn't there some part of you that's like, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to go through another season where I can win 12 games and just go into the playoffs and it's and know that it is in no way good enough. That sounds awful. Okay, you're leaving the second part of what happens in the season out of that. Like, they embarrass themselves nationally. Like, if he can just avoid that, like, the 12 games thing isn't the problem that it seems to be. That's what, I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying is, like, I just, I I hate the cringe of it, and I would want to be out of there as fast as possible. Mike McCarthy is the cringe. What do you mean? Well, and Mike McCarthy also has gone to to great lengths, um, including potentially committing some fibs about how much film he watches in order to secure this position. So Mike McCarthy, I might be underrating uh, his careerist instincts. Uh, yes, you should. He, it's not really up to him. He just got bodied by Joe Barry on national television, man. He does not have prospects after this. He should hold on to that job for dear life. Yeah, I mean, and especially, look, the Belichick thing feels very possible. 
um, it's it's gone as far as I think in my head, the, the question there is like, what happens in Buffalo? Because I, I, I have started to wonder if you're Bill and somehow Philly or Buffalo, if there's another flame out there and let's say Dallas and one of those is open. I wonder what's more attractive if they all want you. But this has come far enough where the variable to me feels like, does Belichick want the job rather than is it going to open up, have all of these, you know, have the stars aligned, um, which is really crazy because this just, this felt like such a harebrained scheme and theory not that long ago, but it really feels like, I mean, I know he's the betting favorite. It really feels like it could happen very quickly now. If, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be very upset. Like as a football fan, I want to see Bill Belichick coach Michael Parsons. I deserve that. We all deserve that. And Bill deserves it. Bill deserves to get his second LT, his second Lawrence Taylor. And I think if he Bill's would turn on that sideline. Does Michael Parsons have more than one pressure? I think so. Yes. They do not get embarrassed. They do not give up 48 points. I know Bill gave up like whatever to Nick Foles in that Super Bowl, but that doesn't count. Matt Patricia was involved. I'm blaming it on him. This game would never happen under Bill. And even if it would happen, like I know Jerry Jones is thinking a coach like Belichick would never let this happen. I mean, how much and that's of, enough. How much of how much of that goes on Dan Quinn too? A lot of it. Be- they gave up 48 points. Yeah. I mean, Mike McCarthy, like, look, he's an offensive head coach. You still got to be responsible for the entire team. But this is a team that throughout the season plays a lot of man coverage and then came out and, and decided that soft zone was going to be the way to go. And, you know, what you were saying about Jordan Love earlier, it reminds me of what we were talking about with Stafford, obviously, except in a much more, you know, successful and explosive instance today. But it, it's this marriage of playmaker and system where again this is I mean I can't imagine a game that played more into exactly how Green Bay wanted this to go right like you get up early so you're less worried about the Cowboys pass rush and you're just able to hang out under center over 60 percent of the time Mm -hmm. and just have the whole menu of run game Aaron Jones is is super dominant play action and then Jordan loves playmaking when you need it. And that is the most comfortable way to be if you are that offense. And I, I can't, I mean, the Cowboys all credit to, to green Bay, because when you talked about it, like the, the playmaking of Jordan love is really spectacular, but the Cowboys just let him do it. Right. Like all these things can be true, right? Like it could be McCarthy's fault, but Dan Quinn still shares a lot of the blame for giving up 48 points. 48 is a uh, lot of points. <laughs> Green Bay's offensive system could produce a lot of easy plays for Jordan Love in the form of wide open receivers. Like Luke Musgrave averaged nine yards of separation per catch, and he had three catches. You can do the math on that. He had 27 yards of space combined on his three catches. And then also Jordan Love can make plays under pressure when things don't work so well with the play design. I think this is, you kind of compared it to uh, the Rams and Stafford on Sunday night. I think it was like a combination of what the Lions had going with their offensive line kind of dominating and them providing the. Sorry, uh, that's ideal. what I, I I was combining two things we talked about. That's what I meant. 
But he also added in the Stafford creativity stuff. So it was like you got the best of both worlds. And instead of getting right. 26 points or 24 points, whatever the line scored, you got 48 points. You doubled it up. Uh, that's why you go for these types of quarterbacks. I think that's why Green Bay had so much faith in Jordan Love while the rest of the football world like basically left him for dead after year two. We hadn't seen him play. We The only time we saw him play after that was an ugly performance against Kansas City. But... When you have that level of talent, which has always been apparent with Love, like going back to his college tape, you give those guys an extra shot. You go give those guys extra time to develop because if they do, it looks like right. this. And this right. is the type of performance that can convince you that this quarterback is able to lead you to bigger things like a Super Bowl one day. That like if I'm a Packers fan, I'm after this year, I don't care what happens next week. Like this season, it was everything that I could ask for. And Jordan Love has been everything that they could ask for realistically. So I'm going to imagine there's going to be some some moment this offseason, but late this offseason because they've got to wait the whole 12 months where someone from the Packers front office and and a member of Jordan Love's representation are going to have a conversation about what what a new contract is going to look like or or what a what an extension is going to look like and when this happened last year they were they really they really were playing the slow roll game and obviously he had he did not have a lot of football on tape so on some level that is that is understandable i mean this is going to be like do you think there is any world in which this is not a full-fledged starting quarterback franchise quarterback type multi multi year top of the market deal. Uh I think that's how it's announced. I think that's how it's presented. Uh I think that's what like the the back of the box numbers say. Uh but I think it's going to be structured in a way where not like Love gets a lot of money and his agent gets to say, "Hey, I got my client paid and you got a big signing bonus." But like it's after maybe 2 years, it's a year to year deal after that. I think that's the smartest way to go about it. I think that's the best way to go about it for both parties. If love wants to cash in on this season without having to prove it a second year. And if green Bay wants to negotiate early and avoid a bigger payday down the line, I think that makes the most sense. And we've seen teams use that structure in the past and kind of benefit from it. Like I'm thinking about the 49ers when they signed Colin Kaepernick, it was very much a year to year deal. Right. And when he regressed after Jim Harbaugh left, they were able to get out of that without having a big cap penalty. I think that's how you have to do it given this unique situation. Like we have never really seen anything quite like this where a guy is on the bench for three years. We don't see any, any real flash of him. And then all of a sudden he comes out and looks like a future star. Yeah. I'd rather be Jordan love than the Packers in that negotiation. I got to say, because I'm sure because of that, it is a different situation. They will be able to make it a little bit more, you know, get those trap doors to be a little bit more substantial than in some of the the top tier quarterback second contracts. But again, they're in a unique situation because they have to wait, which means that there's going to be a couple more deals that get done. And, uh, you know, no matter what happens next week, whatever after, he's, he's going to suddenly have quite a bit of leverage. Yeah. And... You know, look, to some extent, quarterback contracts go the you know, go the way that quarterback contracts go and, and it just inches up and inches up and, and some of that back end structure is 
where the wiggle room is, but I, I think they've got two priorities with Jordan Love this offseason, and it's figure out how much they're paying him and, and what makes sense there and arrive on a significant long-term deal and I don't know, make sure he stays off Reddit. Like, just <laughs> keep this guy normal, please. It's all the do. last two. The last two have not gone uh, exactly I wasn't even thinking of the like other off one. the field. So let's continue the playmaking. Let's continue the mobility. Let's continue the spectacular arms. But maybe let's make some changes. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't work in Green Bay, but those would be my those would be my one and two. There's a lot of downtime to get into some trouble in Green Bay. I'll just say that. But like, I, I don't think the Packers, I don't think it's that tricky of a situation because I think Jordan loves a good player. Like, I think he's proven that. Oh, I don't yeah. Think I, we don't need to see more. And I don't think teams ever live to regret paying good players unless they get hurt. I don't think this is a situation where he's going to turn into a pumpkin and not be a good player going forward if they do pay him. I think his baseline is what we saw this season. And what we saw this season is enough. He finished like what third in EPA per play this year. Like, obviously he's playing right. more of a, a caretaker type of role as a quarterback, but we've seen the playmaking. We know he has that extra level of, of play in him, that extra level of development that maybe like uh, a Jared golf, for instance, doesn't possess. We know love, has the performances and the throws that we've seen other elite quarterbacks make. So I don't know. I think that makes it less complicated. And then at the same time, they have so many young weapons who I don't think are having money commanding years necessarily. I don't think any of these guys are going to be like, oh, I need an above market deal right away. And they have so many options, especially in the receiving core, that they can pick and choose which guys are going to be the most thrifty going forward. Their cap situation is basically ideal considering the fact that a year ago they were really in cap hell and it looked like this was going to be a real issue of Jordan Love and these young guys didn't develop into anything. Well, that's the other thing is that Love has done this working with an overall team that's they're so young. All of those receivers are developing as they go along. I mean, they didn't have a hundred yard receiver through 15 weeks. And then Bo Melton did it against the Vikings. Jaden Reed did it against the Bears. And then Dobbs got there in the first half today. So it's, it's first of all, I mean, Love deserves all of this, this, all the credit of the world. But overall, this Packers team has been, an, has been just a, a really amazing example of teaching and coaching and, and player development as the season goes on. And, you know, some of what Jordan Love did this season was before they'd worked out a lot of those kinks and before they got on the same page. And and I mean, I remember talking about it at the beginning of the, the year with you where we just kept saying, like, it's not that it's it's not that it's bad. It's not that the players can't play. The players can play. It's it's they're just they're shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over. And mm. they stopped doing that. And we'll see how far it goes. But you know, no matter what, it really is gravy because the future just seems so bright if if Jordan Love is who it seems really clear he is. Uh, in classic ringer fashion, there is at least a joke within our staff that we always forget to talk about the Cowboys. Um, 
Dak Prescott threw two pick sixes in this game, we should probably mention. It wasn't a good game for Dak Prescott, no. I, but I think this falls way more on McCarthy than it does Dak. I think, like, the broadcast did a good job, like, especially Greg Olson, like, looking at the replays and showing that there was really nobody open. And Joe Barry's defense was really clamping down on that pass game. There's a sentence you thought you'd be saying. No, Yeah, I, I, I did not think I was saying that. I did throw out the, the possibility that it was a bad matchup for Mike McCarthy, that defense, and this how this offense has been constructed, where it's a lot of vertical throws, and we just didn't see those vertical throws early in the first half. We saw Dak have to go to his second and third read and take check down options and throw in a tight windows underneath. And when you put that pressure on a quarterback and he has to throw, I think he dropped back over 60 times. He attempted 60 passes in this game. Mistakes are going to happen. And like the second one was a, a terrible throw by him, a terrible decision. It wasn't even that complicated of a coverage. The second one, I put more on Brandon Cooks for getting beat inside by Jair Alexander. But it just shows that he has he had a very little mar uh, a very small margin for error in this game, and that tends to be the case in these losses for them. Is that teams take away the big plays, they force them to go on ten and twelve play drives, and then that's when you see the mistakes. Because Dallas really hasn't had a reliable run game this season. It was basically Dak Prescott today. He had forty five yards, and I, uh, Pollard had fifty six, and no one really had more than fifteen. So. I, th I just think it just speaks to how much pressure was on Dak throughout this year and how impressive his regular season was that we didn't see more of these games where he had multi-interception out outings. The run game did very little for them, and, and obviously they kind of got away from anything that had to do with that once the score got so out of hand and Dak had to pass so much. But even still, I mean, Mike McCarthy managed in the first quarter to just be it was like I've seen this movie before where they're they're not running the ball well, but they're still running it on early downs all the time. And they're just putting Dak in third and long. And as yep. you said, the coverage is clamping down and it's a tough situation to be in. Um, and then there was a the thing with CeeDee Lamb, who, you know, still finished with over 100 yards because the Cowboys, once the game was pretty much out of reach, did manage to score some points and and rack up some yards. But in the first half and, and when the game was still being decided, CD was pretty absent and the broadcast was showing the weird interactions with Dak and McCarthy on the sideline. Um, I don't know if anything has, has popped up in terms of reporting about what the deal is there. Do you have, I mean, in terms of in-game on-field stuff, do you have any sort of thesis? I think it was just like minor route adjustments based on the coverage. That's what it seemed like. That's what it usually is when a quarterback and a wide receiver are having discussions like that. I think it's just like what the quarterback is seeing, what the receiver is seeing, because they both have to be on the same page. They both have to see the same coverage to make the necessary adjustments. And I just don't think they were on the same page necessarily. Uh, but I do think the fact that that little miscommunication, whatever it was between Dak and CD just had such a, damaging effect on the offense just kind of speaks to how how much the success of this offense this year was based on that connection between those two like obviously we've seen good jake ferguson has had a good year uh i think gallup has had a, a decent bounce back year after a terrible year last year uh brandon cooks has been whatever i, I don't know it's his usage has been weird all year but this was all about dak and cd like this big year by dak this mvp uh, campaign that he had obviously cd put up crazy numbers 
I don't think it was like a Mike McCarthy scheme thing. I just think they had this quarterback who was capable of living in this environment where he's asked to drop back a bunch and he had this perfect receiver for that style of offense. And those two just cooked all year. But we saw when teams were able to take away that connection, the offense falls apart. And, and obviously Jair I'm Jerry G- did a really good job in coverage. Yeah. And if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm watching that and I'm like tracking that pattern and I'm recognizing that pattern. I'm saying like, this is a coaching problem. Like better coaches provide more answers for the quarterback where it's not right. so based around one connection. So I don't know. I just think all of the signs from this game fit a theme that has been present throughout Mike McCarthy's tenure as the head coach, like the embarrassing playoff loss. This isn't the first embarrassing playoff loss. Every playoff right. loss has been embarrassing. The first 49ers game ended with the, uh, was it a QB sneak by Dak Prescott when they had no timeouts and they had to snap, yes. like spike the ball. Obviously last oh year with the, the Zeke play, which I still don't understand. The Zeke play. Steven. This game, and this might've been the most embarrassing loss of them all. And th- that's just Dallas going back to green Bay. His last two playoff losses in green Bay were embarrassing. He gets blown out on the road against Atlanta in the 2016 title game. The g- year before that, they blow the big lead against Seattle where they, in overtime, they give up like a 12 point lead in the fourth quarter. That's five times in a row. If you bring him back for another year and you get the same result, that's on you, Jerry Jones. That's not on Mike McCarthy. Right. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see if something happens, when it happens, how quickly it happens. Um, Obviously, tomorrow there's two more wild card games left to play. Uh, By the way, the extra point taken boys will have everyone covered on the pod front after Eagles bucks and after Bill Steelers earlier in the day, they're also going to have a same game parlay going on FanDuel during Eagles bucks. So everyone should check that out. Uh, but then when we move into the divisional round weekend, so the Saturday early game is the Texans at uh, either the Ravens or the chiefs. And then the Saturday night game is going to be Packers at 49ers. Does it end here? I mean, what it's, do you think they have a shot? Yeah. <laughs> no, wait, no, no. Sorry. The 49ers are going to win that game. Joe Barry, whatever works against Mike McCarthy, it's not it's not going to work against Kyle Shanahan. I'm sorry. He's going to pick apart that defense. Uh The 49ers just have more talent on 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 their defense. I think they're going to be able to give they're going to be able to take Jordan Love out of the game that he had this in this round. Like you said, he was able right. to stick in a, a positive game script. They didn't have to throw ever. They could they could hand the ball off. They can run their play action stuff. They could stay under center. I don't think it's going to be that type of game. I think they're going to the 49ers are going to score a lot of points. He's going to have to play catch up. And as good as Jordan Love has been, he has been prone to some mistakes and to some bozo moments. And he has a lot of confidence in that arm. And sometimes it gets him in, into trouble. And I think in that situation, it will get him into some trouble. Still, I mean, it, you know, this type of performance at least makes you feel like they can make a game out of it and we'll see what happens. Then on Sunday, yeah. uh, Philly or Tampa Bay is going to go to Detroit. I like that for the Lions. Uh, kind of either way that falls. And then the evening game is either Chiefs at Bills or Steelers at Ravens, depending on those results. Uh, Obviously, two more wildcard games before that schedule gets 
completely set. Are you looking forward to tomorrow? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not too looking forward snow? to Mason, too Mason much Rudolph. Snow, too much Baker Mayfield. Too much Mason Rudolph in the afternoon. Mason Rudolph before dinner time is, is obscene. <laughs> what is the ideal time for Mason Rudolph? Uh, when I'm asleep, 2 a.m. <laughs> like noon, like noon on a Saturday Hawaii. when college... Noon on yeah, a Saturday exactly. when college football is played. <laughs> In the middle of the night. All right. Well, I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm excited to see some snow. I hope everybody in Buffalo is staying warm. This has been Dual Threat, second installment of Super Wildcard Week coverage. Uh, I'm Nora Princiati. He's Stephen Rees. Ben and Shield will be up tomorrow night, breaking down the last two games. And then we'll have a whole week of awesome coverage leading into the divisional round. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for producing this episode and to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramapal for additional production supervision. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, hope is here, visit gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call one eight seven seven eight hope ny or text hope ny in New York.